it is uh, my particular delight to introduce Guy Meunier. Um, I go back a ways with Guy. Um, we've done this kind of talk together in Paris a number of times, five, six times, en français, since the first time in English. Um, more than that, he interviewed me, and the result was a book uh, of uh, thoughts, his and mine, on uh, radical Islam. And he was also the force behind a collection of my essays that came out in France a few years ago, where he wrote the preface and collected the essays. And while he books, he has a new one, which is a collection of his articles in English. <clears throat> his first book came out in 1979. He's published 27 books. Um, in general, on France, on Europe, on the Middle East, Islamism, and anti-Semitism. He's, he's got a PhD in French literature, and he's taught at, um, been a professor at the Sorbonne 8, University of Paris 8. Um, his next book is an autobiography about himself, well, obviously an autobiography, um, called Dissident. He is currently a distinguished fellow at the Gatestone Institute, which many of you know is headed by Nina Rosenwald, does events, does um, publications. Um, this talk is in the context of his moving, his and his wife, um, Khartoum, moving to the United States from Paris, where just as we have found a little bit hot to be public, they found a little bit hot to be in Paris. So they're going to even hotter the city of Las Vegas. <laughs> it's a pretty unusual um, route from Paris to Las Vegas, but you always have the Eiffel Tower there, so <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> you won't feel homesick. <laughs> uh, uh, so he is moving, and uh, English is becoming a more important language to him. And to Khartoum, she wrote me her first letter in English yesterday. So you know, moving to the United States and the tradition of many immigrants. He'll talk briefly about Islam, Muslims, immigration, and that whole uh, whole series of issues in Europe. And then I will even more briefly reply, because we do differ on this. He is more or less the pessimist, and I'm more or less the optimist. So, with no further ado, and then we'll go around the table for a quick um, self-introduction, and then the floor will be open to address questions. So, Guy. Okay. Thank you very much, Daniel. And uh, I really want to say thank you because without you, I would not be here today. And uh, I want to say thank you also because you brought me so many things, so many uh, aspects of thinking uh, during these last few years that I have to be grateful. And uh, so, as Daniel just said, uh, I'm more pessimistic than him. And uh, I think that it's because I'm more pessimistic that I'm moving here. Uh, here, I feel that everything, everything is less dangerous. Maybe I will change my mind, but that's what I feel right now. I see much less dangerous than in Europe. And I must say that in Europe, I receive many death threats. And uh, I don't take them seriously, but uh, my wives take them much more seriously. And uh, so the topic is uh, Islamization of Europe, and I could say that Islamization of Europe is a, f a fact, and it goes fast. Uh, 
and I could say that it goes forward and uh, it doesn't stop. Uh, many people are upset by it, but uh, it doesn't stop. You, you have seen that uh, since you have the migration migration waves from uh, Libya, from uh, Syria, uh, some countries decided to close their borders, but it's mostly in Eastern Europe. In Western Europe, uh, almost nothing is done. And in the newspapers, they never speak, uh, in France, even in Germany, of what is done by the new migrants. Uh, if you want to see images of destruction, uh, news about rapes and things like that, you have to go to newspapers published in English somewhere else. But nobody speaks about it in France, and I could say that I'm not the only one to do it. Um, so uh, I could say that Muslims are outside the gate. They go in, and uh, it doesn't stop. It really, it doesn't stop. Uh, they go around Hungary, countries like that, but uh, they still go in uh, Western Europe. And uh, even if the governments of uh, Western Europe decided to uh, create borders again, it would take several years before it would be done. Several years. Because everything has been uh, destroyed. Uh, you have no borders in Western Europe except uh, the borders that are in the east. Uh, from from the sea, it's very easy to cross the sea, and uh, so we have no almost no borders right now. Europe is very porous, and it will stay that way. I could add that uh, if you look at the situation inside Europe, I could say that Muslims and radical Muslims are already inside the gates of Europe. And the situation has evolved very, very, very fast these last few years. So uh, that's true and pessimistic. I see that people are angry. I see the anger of some people. But I can see also that uh, the anger of many people uh, is marginalized. The people who are angry are immediately called uh, rightist, fascist, and uh, Islam racist because of, uh, they are supposed to be Islamophobes. And, uh, Islamophob Islamophobia is a kind of mental sickness for many European politicians, but uh, it's not treated by a psychiatrist, it's uh, treated by, by the justice. Uh, it can be condemned very easily uh, by judges, especially in countries like France. You have many leftist judges, and if you write something critical about Islam, you can be very easily condemned to very heavy fines and uh, so it stops people. And anyway, many newspapers don't publish it anymore. If I want to, to look at the, the facts, and I will speak mostly about the facts, I could say that uh, in, in a country like France, France is the main Muslim country in Europe right now. Uh, you have um, approximately 8 million Muslims in France and 65 million inhabitants. And so it means that Muslims are uh, 12 percent of uh, the population. But if you look at uh, people under 25, the numbers are very different. Uh, people, m Muslims under 25 are more than 25 percent of the population. Uh, so it means that in uh, the high schools, in schools in France, you, one child out of four is a Muslim. And uh, you have many problems of harassment 
uh, especially Jews, uh, cannot go anymore uh, to public schools in France. If uh, Jewish children are harassed in the school in France, uh, the director of the school says, uh, you have trouble uh, in the school, so you, you would have to take your children to another place. But they say nothing about the people who harass the children. <laughs> it's uh, Jewish children or other children who have to move and to change. That's the situation. Uh, I could say that if I make a comparison with uh, France 25, 30 years ago, uh, I see many differences. Not only the fact that you have much more Muslims right now, but it's the same in other European countries, but I could say that 25 years ago you had almost no radical Muslim movements, or they were very small, very tiny. Now, in France, the main uh, Muslim movement is called UOIF, and uh, it's a branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. And it's the main Muslim movement in France right now. Uh, every year, they organize a big meeting in the north of Paris. And, uh, at this meeting, you have at, at least uh, 50,000 people who come. Uh, on one side, you have the women. All of the women are veiled. And on the other side, you have the men. Uh, they are completely separated. And if you're not a Muslim, you're not allowed to, to go in. And uh, every year they invite very uh, radical preachers. And uh, when the preachers cannot go in, because they are forbidden to go inside France, uh, they speak thanks to cameras from uh, the outside. But they speak to, to all the people. And uh, it's like that. It has been like that for years and years. And every year you have more and more people coming to this meeting. So. Radical movements are completely uh, at home in France, and it's like that in other countries. I could say that if I take a look at what uh, was the situation 25, 30 years ago, uh, you didn't have no-go zones. Uh, I, I agree with Daniel because he wrote that um, no-go zones are not really no-go zones, but partial no-go zones. And I agree. Uh, we went together to some supposed no-go zones in the suburbs of Paris, and uh, Daniel was very brave. He went out. <laughs> he walked. But it didn't seem to be very dangerous. And I think that it's not dangerous for people like Daniel and me, uh, because we could be people who look to buy drugs. So you don't uh, harass customers. Uh, but if you're a policeman, if you're uh, a doctor, it can be very different and very dangerous. And I know that Daniel went uh, in Marseille in some no-go zones, and uh, it was really different. I wanted a munici municipal car. Yeah. I didn't know it. It was a little white car. <laughs> I was driven by someone from the city, but they knew it, and they attacked us with a rock, big thing. Yes, sir. Daniel, they did what? Attacked us with a big, big rock, mm. big piece of cement, actually. Yes. Sometimes it can be fridges that they put on the ceiling of the buildings, and they push the fridges on the cars, and it can be really dangerous, for example. So in these uh, part of France, I could say that the, the police don't go in. They have orders to not go in if possible. They know that it's very unsafe to go in. Doctors almost 
don't go in anymore. And uh, people who are not Muslims or are moderate Muslims uh, are afraid to go uh, there, or they know that they have to be very careful. Uh, for example, even women who don't wear veils outside start to dress with a veil when they arrive in this district if uh, they live there. Uh, and so I couldn't say that it's completely Sharia zones because uh, it's a mix. It's partly Sharia zones and uh, party, partly uh, thugs zones. Uh, drug trafficking, etc. Uh, but these areas didn't exist uh, 15, 20 years ago. So it's something new. And uh, you see that the, the government abandoned these zones. I could say that if I look at the difference between now and 20, 25 years ago, I could say that political correctness was not as strong 25 years ago that it is than it is today. Today, political correctness is everywhere, and uh, you cannot have debates about these kind of problems anymore. Uh, if you have debates bet between people who speak about Islam on French TV or on French radio, <coughs> uh, the people uh, will be only people who say Islam is a religion of peace, uh, it's wonderful, we have no problems. If they speak about uh, the Islamic State in the Middle East, they say these people are not Muslims at all, because Muslims are peaceful. These people are not Muslims. If they speak about uh, the PLO or Hama, even Hamas, they never say these people are uh, radical Muslims. They say these people are, uh, they don't even use the word terrorist. Uh, they say these people are activists. So it's activists. They have some <laughs> activities. Uh, these activities happen to, to kill people, but uh, they are activists. They have some activities. That's it. That's the way uh, journalists uh, speak. Uh, I could say that uh, leftists 25 years ago uh, didn't see in Islam uh, a tool that could be useful for them. <coughs> now they see it, and so they support radical movements. So you have a mix between uh, some Islamists and uh, some leftists. And so I could, I, we, it's possible to speak about Islam or leftist now in Europe. And it's new. Uh, tw 25 years ago, it was not like that. Uh, I think that leftists still believed uh, that communism was possible. Now they don't believe that. So they support people who want to destroy the West. And uh, they see that radical Muslims are people who want to destroy the West. I could say that uh, even politicians speak really differently than 25 years ago. More and more politicians are uh, really scared by radical Islam, so they avoid to speak about it. Uh, in France, Manuel Valls, the Prime Minister, sometimes use these words, but uh, the other people don't speak about it. Even after what did happen in Paris on November 13th, uh, they, politicians almost never used the words radical Islam. Uh, they said, these people are people who were radicalized. Radicalized by what? You don't know. They never say it. Uh, or sometimes, if they are pushed to say it, they will say it. But they will say, no, it's not really Islam, because Islam is not like that. Um, dear people are radicalized. They belong to a kind of sect. Uh, that, that's it. So uh, politicians don't name what's happening. They don't give names. 
And I could say that one of the reasons is the fact that uh, the Muslim vote is more and more important for politicians. Politicians want to attract the Muslim vote, and they know that if they criticize radical Islam too harshly, they will not get the vote, and other politicians will get the vote. And so they are very careful. And if you want to understand why with uh, the mess you have in France right now, I don't know which country I will find back when I will fly back to, to, to France tomorrow, uh, because uh, as you see, France is blocked. You have, you have almost no gas and uh, <coughs> gas stations, uh, and uh, the police does nothing. And <laughs> I'm supposed to go to Israel after I go back to, to France. I'm not even sure I will be able to take a plane. And uh, so the, the government does nothing, but uh, the emergency for the government is to work on uh, the Israeli-Palestinian peace. And why are they doing that? Because they want to have the Muslim vote. They know that for Muslims, say, showing that they support uh, the Palestinian cause is extremely important. And uh, François Hollande wants to be re-elected. I think that he has no chance, but he wants to be re-elected. And he thinks that if he is doing something against Israel in support of uh, the Palestinians, uh, he can get more Muslim votes. So he is doing what he can to have that. So even if France inside is a mess, his emergency will be this one. I could say that uh, the connection between uh, uh, Muslims and crime was less obvious 25 years ago. Now it's really, really obvious. Uh, if you uh, look at uh, the situation in jails, you see that the situation is incredibly bad. Uh, as I said, you have 12% 12, 12 of the population who is Muslim, but in jails, uh, more than 70% of the inmates are Muslims. Uh, so I could say that it's, it could be possible to speak uh, about a high crime, crime rate among Muslims, uh, but nobody says it in France. It's forbidden to say it. If you say it, you, you, you will be very soon in front of a judge and you will, you will have to pay a heavy fine. So everybody knows it, nobody speaks about it. And I could say that uh, jails are not only full of Muslims, and they are also full of uh, uh, self-proclaimed imams uh, who radicalize young Muslims who arrive in jail. Uh, for example, a young Muslim arrive in jail, he says, I'm a Muslim, etc. Uh, I'm a thief, it's bad. Uh, uh, the imam will say to him, yes, what you did is bad, but it can become good if you say that what you are doing is, is done for jihad. Mm, so, uh, if you do it for jihad, it will be good, it will be fine. And uh, because of that, uh, many young people radicalize in jail. After that, uh, they go to the Middle East in uh, camps to train, and uh, sometimes they come back and they do what uh, some people did on November 14th or in February in Brussels. Uh, and uh, so jails are schools of jihad right now. And it's almost impossible for the government to do something because uh, uh, the people who, uh, the guardians of the people in jails, are afraid of what's happening in jail. And it's very dangerous for non-Muslims to be in a French jail. It's especially dangerous for Jews. Uh, I, uh, a friend of mine who is a rabbi in Los Angeles works for. Uh, 
Jewish inmates and uh, tried to save them from that situation. And uh, he gave me documents, uh, and these documents are really scary. Uh, and the government knows it, but uh, nothing is done about it. And I could say that, that uh, it's like that because uh, the government is overwhelmed in uh, many cases. Uh, and it's the same with uh, the police. They know that many young people are radicalized. Many young people uh, have the temptation to become terrorists, uh, but they don't have enough, enough policemen uh, to take care of the situation. Uh, it takes between 8 and 12 policemen uh, to uh, <coughs> take care of one young man tempted by jihad. And uh, so uh, if somebody comes back from uh, the Middle East, for example, from uh, training camps, uh, uh, they check what he is doing for six months. If he does nothing, uh, they stop. And uh, after that, they can start again their activities and that's the reason why uh, many people who uh, did what they done in February or in November in Paris uh, were on the list of people who are supposed to have uh, the risk to become jihadist but the police didn't take care of them because uh, uh, they did nothing for six months so after that they were free to do what they wanted and they could say that uh, a clear sign that the police is overwhelmed is that uh, police doesn't have uh, enough guns, enough arms to take care of very bad situation. I know it was not uh, said broadly here, but when you had the attack in uh, Le Bataclan, in the theater in Paris in November, it took almost four hours uh, to the police to intervene and to do something. So the, the killers had four hours, almost four hours, to kill those they wanted to kill inside the theater. Why? Because these people had war weapons, and inside the theater they could kill everybody with war weapons. Outside, you had policemen with uh, small guns, and the policemen were scared to go inside. They had to wait to have uh, more policemen, more guns, etc. And it, it did take a very long time to have that. Can you imagine spending four hours with ruthless killers like that, uh, seeing that the police is doing nothing? Uh, so uh, we are in that situation, and uh, you, you could say that uh, the politicians uh, is on the verge of surrender in May. They don't want to, to see the situation. They hope it will calm down. down. They are afraid of riots. Uh, they have riots anywhere, but uh, riots you have now are coming from leftists, not from Muslims. But they know that riots coming from Muslims can happen anytime. So, in answer to that, you, many Europeans uh, are, anger, are angry and have bitterness. Uh, but uh, they see that nobody wants to pay attention to what they say. And the media say, these people are racist. So they are completely excluded from the media, and uh, the only political movements who are ready to support them uh, belong to the extreme right. So these people are called fascists. And anyway, the, the word fascist is used uh, in many, many ways in Europe right now. Even Benjamin Netanyahu is supposed to be a fascist, for, uh, to, to give you one, one example. And so 
when somebody says to you, you're a fascist because you don't support that, that, that uh, you start to be shy, you start to, to, to say, oh, I will keep silent, and uh, that's what's happening. So uh, if I'm pessimistic, it's not because I think that uh, Islam will completely dominate Europe. I think that it will partly dominate Europe. A large part of Europeans will become what is called in Islam dhimis, uh, uh, people sub uh, submitting to Islam. Uh, but I think uh, that you would have more and more clashes. A leftist will use radical Islam to create clashes. Uh, you see what's happening right now. And uh, you would have more and more uh, rightist movement. But this rightist movement will be full of anger. And if I look at what's happening in France, and it could happen in other countries, uh, I could say that a, a movement like the National Front uh, has nothing uh, to, to do with uh, American conservatives or with American conservatism. It's a na very nationalist movement, very xenophobic, and it's also a socialist movement. And when I see a movement who is, in the same time, nationalist and socialist, mm -hmm. uh, it reminds me uh, very bad memories. And I don't like uh, the way Europe goes forward right now. I think that we have, you will have more and more, more and more clashes between radical Muslims and uh, people who are on the verge of fascism and national socialism. So that's the <laughs> pessimistic view. <laughs> yes. Now, I accept everything you say, with one small exception, you call them extreme right, and then later you said they've got socialist economics, so they're not yes, extreme yes. right. They're not extreme right. I would uh, call them uh, populist. Hitler was a okay. socialist in some ways. <laughs> I would call them populist. They're right in the sense of nationalist, and proud of their country and their left in terms of social policies and especially economic policies. So populist is the word I use. Other than that, I agree with everything you said. <clears throat> I think the key sentence you, you um, uttered was, everybody knows it, no one speaks about it. And your emphasis is on the no one speaks about it, my emphasis is on everybody knows it. The 25 years ago, there was no there was no opposition. Twenty-five years ago, in our world, was the Rushdie affair. In France, was the Foulard affair. There was no opposition. But my my brief version of this is that, starting in 1955, with the <coughs> German-Turkish agreement that brought over the guest workers, there's been increased steadily over 60 years now of Islam and Muslims and Sharia and minarets and Quran and so forth going like this, up and up and up. <clears throat> but since 25 years ago, since the Rushdie affair, the Foulard affair, there's been an anti-movement that has been going up more sharply. And it's this, this movement, the counter-movement, <clears throat> that I see, I mean, optimism isn't quite the right term for it, but I see it as very important. Uh, two days ago, there was an election in Austria where the representative of this particularly hard right, much harder right than in France, of the Freiheit Partei Austria, got 49.7 votes. Now, he lost the election. But the important thing is not so much he lost it. The position is not that important, but that the anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim, anti-Islamic, anti-Quran, anti-Minaret, call it what you will, vote is on the cusp of 50%. This has never happened before. 20%, 25%, but 49.7%, call it half. 
this is this shows what the stress is, particularly to the violence on the one hand and the immigration on the other hand are causing. And I think that the numbers, which were zero 25 years ago, and are now in the 20s in most places, and which have just suddenly popped up to 50% in one instance, are inevitably growing and growing and growing. So I'm not optimistic in the sense I think everybody's going to just resolve things, but I'm optimistic in the sense that I think there is pushback, that this Islamist surge that you documented, uh, and which is virtually everywhere, let's exclude Russia because that has a very much larger Muslim population, but it's indigenous and quite different, but if one looks particularly at Western Europe, it's just about everywhere. Uh, there is a counter-reaction. Now, the counter-reaction has its origins in nasty places, as you indicated, and the Fr Freedom Party in Austria is particularly bad, or the worst of them is the Golden Dawn in um, Greece, and Jobbik in Hungary is also very bad. There are others which are okay, like UKIP in Britain, um, but overall, they're not, they're, and, and PVV in, in, in um, Holland, not so bad, but overall they're pretty bad, unsavory. But my belief is that they are evolving, that they are suddenly important parties. So to take the French case, you had Jean-Marie Le Pen, who's a nasty thug of a figure, among other things, Holocaust denier, more or less. And then is his daughter. Marine Le Pen is certainly a more palatable figure, right? More acceptable. Uh, if you take Jews in Israel, it's a world of difference, but in other ways, too. Uh, and that's the evolution that you see taking place. I particularly follow in Sweden, the Swedish, Sweden Democrats. <coughs> nasty. When they were founded in the 1980s, and today are a respectable party. Yeah, they have a fringe and the like, but you know, the left wing has a fringe too. Uh, so I am hoping that what you are calling extreme right is evolving. It is, I'm, I point to the fact it is evolving. I hope it will continue to evolve and become ever more mature, moderate, and reasonable. Uh, I don't count on it entirely, but I think it's there, it's growing, and it is the counterweight to all that you're saying. So yes, people are intimidated by being called a fascist or an Islamophobe or a racist, but they're still going to vote for that party. They're going to go to the internet and find these uh, this information on on the sites like you write for, Druze, for example, mm. D-R-U-Z, uh, which, which provides this kind of information. And it's growing, and growing, and growing fast, 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 fast. Now, in the end, I think we come to the same conclusion. There are going to be clashes. I mean, there's a reason why the politicians leave these partial no-go zones alone. There's a reason why they turn the other way in the, in the jails and so forth, because they want just to keep things quiet. And eventually, it will not be quiet. There will be major clashes. We, we agree there. Mm. So I'm not entirely optimistic. I'm not, it's all not, not all good news by any means, but if you're concerned about the future of Europe and it not being just an extension of North Africa, dominated by Islamism, uh, I think you have reason to be optimistic in that sense. If you're concerned that Europe be the place for the good life, as it has been <clears throat> in recent decades, <clears throat> no, no, it's going to be trouble. There are going to be clashes, there's going to be insurrections, there are going to be riots, there's going to be all sorts of nasty things. To put in its grandest format, I would say that Pax Americana, which dates from 1945, is eroding, and it's not the Soviet Union that's doing it. 
it's something quite different, but it is eroding. And Europe of tomorrow is going to be a far more troubled place than Europe of today. But still, I think, uh, I'm optimistic in the sense I think that Europe still will be Europe as opposed to North Africa. You want to say something? Mm. No, no, I, I agree. Europe will not become North Africa, but uh, it will be a zone with a lot of troubles, clashes, and uh, in order to have a change, I think that it will be necessary to change things in the media, uh, because you're right. Uh, many people go online uh, to, on, to see web magazines, for example, but the mainstream media are completely in the hands of the left and of politically correct people that, that hide right. everything. And uh, they are still ready to, uh, unable to intimidate many people. But nonetheless, this surge is continuing. The votes are going up. Yes. And the feelings are changing. And you don't have anyone who says, you know, I used to worry about Islamism and I don't anymore. Nobody. No. It's only the other way. I used to not worry about it, and because there was an attack, or because there were immigration, or because the culture is changing, different reasons, I've changed my mind. Mm -hmm. So let's go around the room so that we know who is here. You start. Hi, my name is Isabel Miller. I'm a friend of uh, Guy. And um, actually, I agree with everything he said. He did not mention Pegida, which is a very important movement right now in uh, Germany. Yeah, yeah sure. Go. What I believe... Well, let's just go around the room. Oh, okay. <laughs> we can bring up the topic. Okay. Rochelle Wolf. Marshall Wolf. Larry Allen. Gary Gamble. Well, you might say something yeah. about yourself. Gary works here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm on the board of the Middle East Forum. Former, our former chairman. Gary is... Gary Gamble, editor of the website. Glenn Feldman, uh, interested observer. Stan Ginsburg. Very interested. I even went out to Princeton. <laughs> to the woods in Princeton. Yeah. <laughs> Harrowing experience. Tom Trope. Go way back with Daniel Pipes and uh, was for many years on the board of the Middle East Forum. Way back means like when I was born. Cordervale <laughs> Karachi. Interested for many years. Sandy Holland. And Harris Holland. We're parents. He's our gift to you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, any, <clears throat> anybody want to ask a question? Okay. I, ha I have one Sorry. thing to say. Yes. You were speaking about France and what's happening in Europe. And I agree oh, with everything. Sorry, Miss, Miss Greg back there. Said. Sorry. <laughs> Greg Robin, MEF director. But <laughs> I am concerned in this country, in the United States, I think the press is very liberal, and they're always afraid to say our president never would come out with radical Islam. Mm -hmm. And it's something I don't understand. Yes, I... And I can't understand the people here who have not expressed this. And in our prisons in the United States, there's a growing Muslim population. There's conversion in the prisons. Mm. So in short, what we have is a modified version of what you've just described. Not so bad, but in uh, the same direction. Yes, but you have much less Muslims here than in Europe, so... so but everything, everything yes. you said applies here, too. The uh, press, yes, the yes. prisons, the politicians. Yes, I agree, but at least you have some uh, media 
that are not completely politically not correct. Completely, and we, and, uh, we don't have that in many European countries. We also have a very large religious population that yes. counteracts it. Yes. Which we're fortunate. Yes, I agree. It makes a difference. Uh, churches are almost completely empty in uh, most countries in Europe. Uh, in some countries, churches are changed into mosques, and or in supermarkets, or in hotels, and things like that. So there was something I read in the paper uh, today uh, about the uh, Bernie Sanders appointed certain people to the uh, uh, Democratic Committee. And um, those people that he appointed one is very pro-Palestinian. Yes. And the other one was a radical professor that out in Colorado that we thought we got rid mm. of, and he's on it. I cannot understand that. Mm. Well, Bernie Sanders represents the European uh, dimension of American politics. He, he is, would like to bring over what they have in Europe. So it's no surprise that he's following the same lines that they follow. The speaker that I heard recently said that Bernie Sanders' supporters um, demonstrate the complete lack of failure of the American education system. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they're yes. supporting him. But my question is that Europe has a significant industrial base. It supports it. Mm. Um, I can't think of any uh, Muslim country where there's been successful managing of companies. No. Now, when this changes, that's going to add another dimension because the, the funds to fuel these activities, these governments, shouldn't exist. I mean, it may be good for American companies because we won't have as much competition, but how do you see it? Uh, it's another reason why I'm pessimistic. Maybe Daniel will disagree with me, but I think that uh, the people who have uh, the most important capital today and uh, the most important capital is intellectual capital uh, are leaving slowly European countries. Uh, if I take the Jews, Jews are really leaving very fast, as fast as they can, and uh, they want to move to, to Israel, uh, they move to Canada, they move to the United States, and uh, so those who stay in Europe are mostly people who have no other solution. And it's not only the Jews, it's also many young people, many young people who, want, who have a spirit of enterprise in their mind, uh, wants to move elsewhere. So if nothing change, uh, the situation could become very bad and uh, very bad economically speaking. And uh, I don't see uh, a good future for Europe economically speaking if nothing change. And uh, when I see that the political parties like uh, the National Front are leftist economically speaking, I don't think that it will help. Uh, because if people say, we don't want what's happening, but uh, we are more and more socialist, it will not improve the situation in the country at all. I agree. I think the, <clears throat> econ I mean, the economy of Europe is in secular decline, long-term decline. And one of the impetuses of allowing so many or inviting so many immigrants in is to find labor. And indeed, I just saw a rather sophisticated economic analysis which argues that within five years or so, 
there will be a net boon from having all these immigrants who came last year, which is complete fantasy, yes. total, total craziness. But that's what the official uh, studies are showing, that this is good for the economy. No, it's not. Um, partly for the reason you said, that uh, the, these are not, partly because of socialism, partly because uh, the immigrants don't have the kind of background in general that leads to economic success at, on high level, and partly because Europe is already too socialist. Uh, so, uh, yeah, economic problems galore. Not just fighting going on and tensions, but also economic problems. And then, as Guy is saying, I mean, there is a major strike going on in France right now. Yes. You don't know if your plane is going to go there. You don't know once you arrive if there are going to be exactly. any taxis there. Um, it's, and that's nothing to do with Islam. That's the stranglehold of the uh, unions over the economy. It's bad. If I can oh. add to that, uh, the Middle East Forum and the European College of Management in Paris, it's uh, Europe's oldest business school, is actually hosting a conference, a joint conference, on Islamism in the Workplace on July 20th in Washington, D.C. And you'll have a day full of uh, speakers talking about how this affects economy and workplace practices, everything from lawful Islamism to the violent jihadis and how they have mm -hmm. affected uh, workplace practices. So July 20th, Washington, D.C. Uh, we have a special hotel rate if you want to stay overnight. And it will be with Delta and with the Washington Metro uh, Airport Authority, the leading uh, Islam in the workplace violence expert from the Netherlands will be there. The Irish Embassy is co-sponsoring. The Czech Embassy is co-sponsoring. It's going to be a really great event. And everybody will get the invitation. Everyone will get the invitation Thursday or, or Friday. So. Thank you. Tom. I have <coughs> two uh, quick questions for you. You said that radical Muslims want to destroy the West. What I've heard from Daniel on many occasions is radical Islam is the problem, moderate Islam is the solution. When you, when you refer to radical Muslims, what you imply is, of course, that there are Muslims who are not radical. That there are, and I have read uh, that, uh, for example, when Jews, not too long ago, Jews are attacked, there were a group of Muslim imams who came out to support uh, the Jewish community, Jews the Jewish community. So my first question, very simply, is, or I'm going to ask you if you could expand a little bit on, on what role moderate um, Muslims are playing in France. Number two, with respect to France, what you said is, and I think you were referring to France too, where, uh, Jew, you said Jews are leaving as fast as they can. Mm -hmm. With respect to France, for example, last year, what, what, were, what were the numbers? And how do they compare to previous years? I mean, how many how many Jews left France as compared to the number of Jews who ordinarily leave France? So those are my two questions. I will start with uh, the second question uh, because it's faster to answer. Uh, if I look at the statistics uh, concerning the Jews leaving to go to Israel last year, uh, you, they, they were around ten to twelve thousand, and uh, it's twice the number they were the year before. Out of 500,000. So, so it, it accelerates. And that doesn't um, count non-Israel. doesn't count yeah. him going to Las Vegas. Right. I mean, yeah. he's not Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> but were he Jewish, he wouldn't <laughs> <be> <laughs> uh, Yes. So uh, 
I could say that it accelerates. It started to accelerate when you had uh, these killings in Toulouse, for example, because it was uh, the most awful killing I have seen in France. Can you imagine uh, a man uh, coming to take a, a young girl uh, and uh, taking her by, by the hair and shooting her in the head? Uh, it's really... Uh, I, I cannot imagine uh, that. And uh, many Jews said, okay, with that, I give up, uh, I leave the country. And uh, I could say that all the Jews who can leave are leaving right now. Those who don't leave are either people who don't have enough money to leave or uh, enough opportunities to do it, or people who say, uh, I spoke uh, with Isabel about that, who say, we, we left uh, North Africa because they pushed us out. And uh, we shall not uh, accept to be pushed out again. Uh, so some people react like that, but uh, many, uh, I, I give many lectures for uh, uh, synagogues, and I work with uh, many Jewish institutions in France, and uh, all the, the families I meet are really anxious and scared about the future. I, I, I cannot meet anybody who is optimistic about the future and who think that uh, within 10 years uh, their life will be peaceful and easy and uh, uh, Jews almost everywhere in France have to uh, hide that they wear a kippah, for example. It's almost impossible to wear a kippah anywhere in uh, the country now. Uh, if you have a Star of David for the woman uh, around the neck with the necklace, uh, you have to hide it. It's much more careful to, to do it that way. So the situation is becoming very, very bad. Uh, concerning uh, moderate Muslims, I could say that uh, um, Many, the majority of Muslims in France are not radicals. Uh, that's the truth. Uh, but the people who are not radicals um, are uh, scared. Uh, they know that radicals can harass them, can attack them, though so they are mostly silent and they don't speak. And uh, I must say that uh, when they accept to, to protest against something, it's mostly when uh, uh, Israel attack Palestinians, but not when you have uh, attacks like November 13th attack. In such a case, they say, it's not our concern. Uh, these people, uh, it's it said on the TV, um, these people are not Muslims. So we don't care. Uh, we have no relations with them. They are not Muslims. That, that's it. So in France, after those attacks, there was no... There were no uh, demonstrations by moderate Muslims? No, 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 not at all, not at all. No. But you have many uh, protests. Uh, no, I couldn't say protest. It would be really too much to say protest. You had uh, uh, many people who went out and to say, we, we resist. And uh, I wrote an article for the Gateston Institute uh, about that because I was really shocked by what I saw. And I called the article The New French Resistance. And I must say that it made me really sad uh, because the way to resist for these people was to have a drink in a coffee shop uh, one week later and say, we have a drink in a coffee shop, so we resist. Or uh, uh, they went to some places crying, uh, bringing candles, flowers. And uh, one of the most shocking videos I have seen at that time was the video showing a father speaking to uh, his little boy. And the little boy said, Daddy, I'm scared. Uh, these people can kill us. And uh, the answer of the father was, oh, don't be afraid. They have guns, but we have flowers. 
so if you resist with flowers, I'm not sure that it will work in front of this kind of people. And uh, I could see also people who brought hearts, pink hearts, on which it was written, we love you, and they put the hearts on mosques. Um, but uh, these people were not Muslims. I could say that uh, I know a couple of imams who are really moderates in France. Uh, but uh, the police has to take care of them because they are constantly attacked or uh, they receive uh, threats uh, as they receive threats. I think I have a comment and then two simple questions. Yes. The comment in this country, the populist movement is Trump, and Trump is tapping into the anger. And I believe you would, he should have been shot down many times during the campaign, but the anger in this country is so high that he's moving forward. Maybe a solution, maybe not. Yeah, we have two populists. Yeah, the other one, Sanders, same thing on the other side. <clears throat> but he's amongst the young. <clears throat> We'll see what happens there. We don't know. My first question to you is, there are these no-go zones. Yes. These no-go zones did not come about overnight. So how do we prevent these no-go zones from happening in our country here? And my second question to you, which is sort of a follow-up to yours, is there are moderate Muslims in this country Judy's asked comes to mind. There are a couple others. They don't get the publicity. Very few of them are actually out in front and speaking up. And I could never understand why in the United States, where you don't have the violence they have in Europe, why these guys, the so-called moderates, aren't speaking up more forcefully. So those are my two questions. Well, these are kind of American questions. <laughs> These are American questions, but yes. I believe climate, uh, if you climate goes from west to east, yes. but politics goes from east yes. to west. Yeah, yes, but if you, I think that if you don't want to have a partial no-go zones, uh, you have to pay attention to a few details. Uh, you have to have a police that is ready uh, to push people to respect law and order. Uh, we don't have that anymore in Europe. Uh, when did it you, you, you could see that last week uh, several policemen were attacked in France and uh, the, the, the members of the government said uh, these policemen have to be proud. Uh, they were attacked, they, they didn't threaten people with guns. Uh, so if you think that people, uh, uh, if, policemen, if you think that policemen have to be attacked and uh, to react peacefully, you're in a very bad situation, <laughs> and we are in that situation presently in France. When, when well, it, went, it went slowly, uh, little by little. Uh, many people said the uh, police is too violent, police is too violent, and then the government accepted that, yeah. and they pushed policemen to, to give up in many ways. And uh, I could say that uh, the other problem, according to me, uh, is that we have a, a very strong welfare state. So uh, we have a very high rate of poverty, a very high rate of unemployment, and uh, these zones are zones where you have very high unemployment and very, very high rates of poverty. And because of that, the people can live there without working, 
They don't have to think about work. They receive checks from the government every week, and uh, it's okay. If they want to have a little more money, uh, they uh, can involve themselves in drug trafficking, and uh, they will have more money. And uh, I could I could add to that. that uh, the welfare state is not uh, the only problem. The, un the other problem is that the governments knew that in these districts you have uh, many problems of drug trafficking. But they said, uh, so if they live on uh, drugs, drug trafficking, uh, we shall not have to give them more money because they can make money from other sources. So the government slowly accepted the, the situation. So, so if you don't create huge welfare states, and if you say uh, people have no other solution than, than to find a job, <laughs> you will improve the situation. And uh, if you don't accept drug trafficking, as uh, it was accepted in many European countries, you will have less problems too. Uh, no, it was not as bad in Germany, uh, and I think that it's coming from the fact that uh, the Muslims you have, uh, you had, I have to speak in the past now, the Muslims you had in Germany were mostly Turkish Muslims, and uh, Turkish Muslims were different. Uh, they didn't have the same anger and bitterness against the West than the Muslims you have in France, who are mostly from North Africa. and. Uh, Muslims from North Africa arrived in the, in the 60s, for example, and uh, these people came to work. But after that, the, their children went to school. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's not a dog barking, it's my telephone. And, uh, 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 oh, it's, it's a call from Israel, but I will take it later. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so... Uh, I have to, to think. Uh, what was I speaking Germany. about? Uh, Germany, yes. Uh, yes, so in Germany you have less bitterness because you, the Turks uh, cannot say we were colonized by Europeans. Uh, I, after, after speaking in Germany, I was speaking about France. In France, uh, the young Muslims who went to school uh, were more bitter and more angry than their parents. Why? Because in schools it was said to them, uh, France did colonize your country, France destroyed your country, so you have grievances and you have to ask something from France. France has been really bad with you. And uh, these children are more angry than their parents. So you have many uh, Muslims who uh, were, who are now 60 or 70, who are quiet, and, uh, but uh, young, younger Muslims are different. And the difference is coming from the fact that they are under the influence of schools, under the influence of leftist professors uh, that created bitterness. And, uh, now they are also under the influence of imams, radicalized just, imams. It's not just the uh, French colonization of North Africa, it's Islamophobia. You have a right to be yes. upset, to be angry, because yes. Yes. this is a racist country and everybody's treating you badly. Yes, so. yes. I agree, I agree. Uh, did you personally face uh, prosecution or other involvement with the law? Uh, and and uh, also, what will you be doing in Las Vegas? Professional. Yes, yes. 
I chose Las Vegas because my wife loves Las Vegas, and uh, I do what what is pleasant for my wife. And, uh, uh, <laughs> Why does she love Las Vegas? Yes, yes, exactly. And uh, it's a nice city, and uh, you have a large Jewish population. And uh, I'm not too far from Los Angeles, and uh, I have also activities in Los Angeles. So I answer to that part of your question. And uh, the first part, I. I, I have been uh, sued one time, and I could see that uh, the justice in France is really a disaster, and uh, that justice is in the hands of leftists, because uh, 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 I have seen uh, the uh, one attorney saying, uh, I ask to the judge to not follow the law, because our principles, leftist principles, are above the law. Uh, oh, oh. I have to stop my phone. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was it that you wrote or said that caused you to be sued? Uh, now, uh, when you say, for example, what I said, uh, when you say that uh, you have much more Muslims in prison than you have uh, Muslims in uh, the general population, you can be sued for that. So it's very easy to, to be sued for many, many things. Uh, so I found a solution to not be sued. As I publish mostly my articles uh, on web magazines uh, that are not established in France. And I try to, to show that when I publish them, I'm outside of the country. In such a case, I, I cannot be sued by the French justice. Uh, you, so you have to find solutions. Uh, but uh, as I said, I received many death threats. And uh, when I went to see the police, I could see why I would have to move. Uh, why? Because the police said to me, okay, uh, you show me that uh, uh, you received death threats, uh, but did they actually try to kill you? Have you approved of that? I said, no, they, they didn't try to kill me. Uh, so they said, uh, wait until they try to kill you and then come back. Uh, I don't want to wait until that moment. Say a few words about France's tradition of secularism. Yes. You know, France is the one country where there are measures like uh, bans on, on Islamic faith mainly in the yes. public that would certainly never be, uh, I think, considered here. To what extent is secularism a resource that can be appealed to by the French population to support limitations on religious instruction in prisons or other, other uh, let, let measures? Me, that let me slightly be. edit that. We have secularism. They have something called laicism, which is a tougher mm. to what they have in Mexico. It's more anti-clerical, more not just separation, but anti-religion. That's the mm. French tradition. Yes, that's right. But uh, you can see that, um, for example, uh, young girls take off their veils when they go in high school or in a primary school. But at the university, you have many many uh, students who still wear a long black veil. Uh, they show their face, that's it, but the rest is <laughs> completely Islamic. So, uh, and in the streets you have more and more women uh, wearing this kind of veils. And uh, some of them even hide their face. Normally it's forbidden by the law. Uh, but uh, policemen know that they have to, see, to, to act as if they didn't see that. Because if they react, and if the woman becomes angry, and uh, if the policeman acts a little more violently, they know that riots could occur. It did happen two or three times in the last few years, 
So uh, policemen don't enforce the law in many places right now. So it changes almost nothing. So you have laws and you have uh, policemen who are supposed to uh, enforce the laws and uh, they do almost nothing. Uh, but even enforcing it is pretty mild. What, what is the penalty for wearing a burqa or niqab? It's a little fine. Pen penalty, a little fine, yeah. Mm. So they can go back and do it again and again. Yes, exactly, exactly. So There's one, one woman I read about who's been fined repeatedly. Yeah. It was a badge of honor. Right, mm -hmm. exactly. So it's not terribly efficacious. Why has so little been written about the, the wave of, of Muslims coming from, uh, from Syria and uh, Africa? I, Dana Pipes wrote an article recently, but I haven't seen too many people questioning uh, what, what's what's going on? That you know these people have have a lot of countries that they could go to where Arabic is spoken, mm. and they're wealthy countries. And there's silence on that issue, other than yes. your article. Yes, uh, Daniel wrote an article saying that uh, they would be more comfortable in Saudi Arabia, I think. And, uh, I There's think a lot of work there, and they uh, can yes, yes. kill their daughters, and nobody really minds. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Slaves, yeah. beheading, you know, uh, good things. Why the silence? Uh, Not so much in, Fran in, in Europe, but in this country, why is no one... Well, I mean, this isn't an issue for us so much. The, question, the real question is, why isn't this a major issue in Europe, where they're expecting this summer... Who knows? A million from Libya uh, on the water, and who knows what they're and so forth. So it's a huge issue there. No, they're not raising it. They're not raising it. here. It's not an issue. I mean, we decide to take ten thousand or so, but, but uh, it's no, no. It's impossible. So it it's impossible to raise the issue in newspapers or in mainstream media because uh, mainstream media don't want to speak about it. Uh, they keep silent. Uh, they just say. Islam is a religion of peace. These poor guys have to come. Uh, but uh, it, it creates more and more anger. That's true. More and more anger. Uh, because, for example, in France, you have people who were waiting for many years to have a, a social housing. And uh, <laughs> they were on the top of the list. And they see these people arriving, and <laughs> they go in front of them immediately. And they, they have uh, apartments, uh, houses. And uh, so they are really upset. They said, I was waiting for my turn, and these people arrived, and uh, they, have, they got everything. Uh, so I think you would have more votes for the National Front because of that, uh, even coming from people who didn't support the National Front for many, many years, because they are really upset by, by <laughs> what's happening. But uh, the media are completely silent, completely silent about it. And uh, most politicians are completely silent about it, too. And uh, they are, politicians are silent because they want the Muslim vote, as I said. And uh, you have already many Muslims in uh, France, and uh, they really want their votes. I have a question for you. You have a PhD in French literature. Yes. The two great, important, not great, but the two major novels of this subject in France are Le Camp de Saint, the Camp of mm. Saints, that came out in 1973, which in short tells about an invasion from Bangladesh. Yes. Kind of rafts and little mm. boats come and come and come, and the French don't know what to do about it, and they land, and mm. France is going to be overwhelmed. So it's 1973, very, very early. Yes. And then last year, uh, the day of the attack on Charlie Hebdo, 
was the publication date of Soumission, yes. Submission, by Michel, I don't know how to pronounce it. Michel name. Welbeck. Welbeck, um, which I'm actually reading right now. It's a very, very interesting book, um, which is not about invasion at all. It's about, um, it's this very um, blasé, kind of tired of life, academic French literature mm -hmm. professor at Sorbonne, mm -hmm. <laughs> like you, <laughs> who doesn't really have any girlfriends and isn't married, doesn't have any children, doesn't have any parents are, have, I understand them, no other relatives, no friends, mm -hmm. bored with his subject on some 19th century French author, and gradually the country changes around him and he just wanders into it and, and what's so striking about it is there's no alarm. He goes to the gas station to get some gas, he finds the the proprietors of the gas station are dead on the floor, so he reaches over them and gets a tuna sandwich for free and leaves. You know, it's just, you know, no, nothing, nothing phases him, nothing really matters, and step by step, Islam takes over in France. So talk about these two books and the, what, uh, 43, 42 years between them and what their yes. impact is. I could say that it would be impossible to write and to publish Le Condescent today. Uh, immediately the author would be sued and uh, I, I can even say that it would, be, it would be impossible for him to find a publisher to publish such a book. A publisher would say it's too dangerous, I could have bombs, I don't want to have bombs, so it would not be published. So you see that we, the country did change a lot. Uh, and uh, if I speak about submission, I could say that uh, it's a very realistic book. What he describes is what I see around me. Uh, even people who are angry are scared to express their anger, and a large part of the people uh, are undone, under the effect of what is said on the TV. On the TV they said, oh, Islam is a religion of peace, and... Uh, so we accept, and uh, many people are ready to submit, I could say. Uh, if I speak to some of my neighbors in France, they say, okay, uh, some Muslims can be dangerous, but if uh, women have to wear a veil, and if they uh, leave us alone, if women wear a veil, it will be okay. I will ask my wife to wear a veil. That's it. Uh, my daughter will bear, wear a veil. Uh, we shall live like that. It will be okay. So the the main character of submission is in fact quite realistic. You're saying yes. I encourage you to read it. It's a very compelling book. Uh, Craig, look, let me just get Craig. just to add to what you're talking about, where there's this sort of media firewall that has been created against opining your thoughts. Yes, yes. Uh, one of the things that we do do at the forum is we go beyond traditional media outlets. And whenever Dr. Pipes is an article in French, yeah. we take a, uh, a demographic, demographic cross-section of political support, whether it's UMP, the uh, Union for Popular Movement, or the National Front, or the Socialist Party. We go to Marseille and Nice and Paris, mm -hmm. and we actually pay for ads to go on the social networks that the French are using, and only in French. Mm -hmm. So there's ways to bypass the traditional way in mm -hmm. which um, you may be censored, to, to a certain extent, yes, and we've had a pretty good success with it, and we get out to hundreds of thousands of people, depending on the article, yes, even more so than the readership of some of the papers that are blocking you from being published. So just so everyone here knows, while there is this drudgery that goes against you and this wall mm -hmm. that you run up against, there's ways to get around it, to go under it, to go over it, 
And uh, I think that's something that we've done pretty well in the last uh, year. Yes, what you're doing is very useful. But I could say that uh, the most part of the French people uh, receive their news from TV. And uh, as Which long as... That's why I would say to you now that starting September 30th, yes. we'll be launching MEF TV. Uh, where in different languages, and that's something we haven't really talked mm. about, but it's an option, we'll be offering content beyond the, uh, the written content or small 140 character ads and really try to mm. go around the traditional media loop that has prohibited mm. us from sharing our information. So. Yes, it would be very useful too, but uh, uh, most people in France uh, open their TV in the evening and they watch the, the news at 8, in, on every channel you have news at 8, and the, the most part of the French people receive their news like that. And uh, in, uh, news are uh, completely adulterated and uh, transformed. Uh, I, I still remember when you had riots in France it was, uh, almost 10 years ago, uh, some people, some friends I have uh, in San Francisco <laughs> called me and said, uh, a, a supermarket two miles away from your place is burning. Uh, it was not said on the French TV, so it was people in San Francisco yeah, who could this, say this, that. This is where I most disagree with you. Yes, the news is filtered and leftist yes, yes. and so forth. But people know. You will know. If you didn't know quite yet, you will know mm. that your supermarket is burning. And you will be upset about it. Yes. And others will, too. The news coverage is only that important. There's reality. There's having to deal with the impact of yes. the violence and the immigration and the change in mores and customs. And I feel that that's having an impact regardless. You think France is bad. Sweden is worse. Worse, worse, worse. Makes France look like the United Ooh. States in comparison. It's so much better than Sweden. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Why? Uh, the, the, the unanimity on the part of the officialdom, whether right or left, because that's what we call moderates and left, part, it just makes no difference. The extreme positions they take, the former, the preceding uh, Prime Minister was from the was from the right, and he said that uh, the future of Sweden is in the hands of the immigrants. In other words, you Swedes, you know, forget it. These are the people of the future. Uh, he also took a flight over Sweden. He said, you know, there's a lot of empty territory here, which there is. It's a big country, and there can be a lot more immigrants here. Um, a leading figure on the left uh, said, Swedish culture, there's no such thing. What is it? Some kind of a fish. Dish, that's a Swedish culture. Some dance, that's Swedish. We have no culture. No, no one in France would ever say that, right? No, no, no. no. There's no prong. At least in France, there's a sense of French culture and French literature and French yes. poetry and yes, you know, there's pride in French history and so forth. In Sweden, it's gone. And uh, yet, despite that, you see, as a result of the usual factors, a doubling every four years of the support for the Sweden Democrats, who are by no means a perfect vehicle for this, but uh, they went from half a percent in 1998 and are now polling 25 percent and our largest or second largest party in the country, and it's just going up and up and up, and they will get nothing from the media at all. There's no equivalent to, say, Ivan Riofol, who's a very major columnist in a very major newspaper, Le Figaro, who has a book coming out or has already come out on the forthcoming civil war. Mm. I mean, you do have these voices in the establishment. 
There's nothing like that in Sweden. And yet still, they get the message. You, can, you, you can't hide reality from people. So that's why I disagree with you. I think people are getting the message despite the media ban. I'd like to add a few comments because I know pretty well what's going on in France, being French myself. Um, I think that the major issue that Europe is facing is political correctness. And this political correctness stems from the Shoah. Because they killed Jews in mass, you know, now they are very much afraid of, you know, trying to stigmatize or point to some uh, populations that are considered minorities. And therefore, you know, it's like all they try to do is to appease. So that's, that's one, one of the issues we have. The second thing is that you have a pope authority today that is very detrimental to the Christians, okay? They are, um, you know, you see the pope who is going to wash the feet of, you know, African male and, you know, who kiss them and, you know, who criticize France for, you know, being too... Uh, uh, to, um, and, and trying to enforce too much of the laicite. And therefore, you know, the, the, and the Pope is supposed to be, you know, this actual, you know, uh, like uh, propulsor of, of Christianity in Europe. And he's diminishing completely, you know, Christianity. Maybe it's linked to the fact that he was born in, in Argentina and therefore he doesn't have this sense of, you know, Europeness that, you know, another Pope would have had. But, you know, he's a major issue. And, uh, you know, instead of trying to reinforce the, the, the uh, Judeo-Christian values and explain that, you know, Europe is based on those, uh, you know, he does exactly the opposite. And he tries to appease also the Muslims. And, and all that is part of, you know, I guess his left-wing, uh, you know, uh, background. The way I see it is that, you know, the only way that... Europe's going to come out of this mess is unfortunately through uh, extreme right parties. This is the only way they can come out of it. But the problem is that right now, you know, both the left, the, the, the uh, classic left, classic right wing, are, are like mortified at the idea that the extreme right parties could actually come to power. So they try to, you know, block them all the time from winning the elections. This is what happened in December in France during the regional elections where, you know, Marine Le Pen had almost, you know, the, uh, the, the, the highest percentage of votes, but still she lost because there is like a coalition of left and right in order to stop them. And this is probably what happened also in Austria. I do not say that, you know, uh, we should be uh, excited about the, uh, the uh, appraisal of, of those parties, extreme right parties. But in fact, you know, I think that they are the only ones who are really patriots these days. And uh, the problem is that, you know, when they go, the, the frustration going to grow and grow and grow, and then they're going to eventually come to power. It's not going to be always like the election in December and the election like a few weeks ago, a few, uh, few days ago in Austria. And they're going to come to power, but it's going to be at the cost of the Jews, and the Jews are going to have to leave. So Europe will be, you know, a, a, a Jew-free uh, continent. And, and, and this is how I see no I, I agree with you. Let me just make a point about the Pope. The prior Pope, Benedict, was European and was tough and was going to assert Judeo-Christian values. And look what happened to him. He made that one statement in 2006 about um, the Byzantine emperor. Bam! That was the end. It was all over. He never said another word. 
I think it will take a Nigerian or someone else from Africa who will be the next pope or the pope after mm. that who is coming from a situation where this is his life who will come and who will be the great uh, standard bearer of Europe but it's not going to be a European it's not going to be a South American it will be an African I put my money on an African and there are two or three who are why will the African be a standard bearer because if you're from Nigeria this is the uh, Christian Muslim confrontation is extremely major and overt. I mean, they burn churches and they burn mosques. I mean, it's, it's out there. And they're competing for, for um, conversions, and it's, it's, um, it's very nasty. So I think it'll... How much longer do the Jews have in Europe? It's hard to say, but I would say maybe 10 years. <laughs> I put it in the context of the Middle East. In 1945, there were a million Jews in the Middle East now, outside of Israel. Now there are 30,000, 40,000, so 96 percent left, and I would see something on that order in that same period of time, decades, leaving Europe. Russia, again, being a special case, but um, France, Britain. What I find, you mentioned that Jews leave France for places like Australia mm -hmm. and here. The really smart ones, <laughs> being sarcastic, go to, go to England. <laughs> <laughs> it's like from the fire, frying pan into the fire. But there is a significant immigration of Jews to, to, to Great Britain. Anti-Semitism is rising in Great Britain. Yes, of course. No, it's a, <laughs> not, a, not a, it's convenient. It's just across yes. the channel. Yes. We've run out of time. If there's anything quick that anyone has to say, ask. You want to say anything? Conclusion? No, uh, I hope that what I said and uh, what uh, Daniel said today was useful for you. Uh, it's not cheerful. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, for a long time, I didn't want to move. If I decided to move, it's not only uh, because I received death threats, but but uh, I could see also what's happening to my younger daughter at school. And uh, I could see that she is scared to say that uh, I go to give lectures uh, in Israel very often. She is scared to say I go to Israel. Uh, she says I go to Tunisia, to Turkey, but never to Israel. Uh, she knows. Uh, she is 16 now. And, uh, but for the last couple of years, uh, she was scared to say that. She is even scared to say that she goes to the United States. Uh, if she was going to North Korea, it's, I feel that it would be much better for her. Uh. Anyway, welcome to the United States. Yeah. Thank you. Just to, just to say that she, wanted, she would like to go to Israel? No, uh, she, she went to Israel many, many times, and I could see the effect of political correctness, too, because uh, in Los Angeles I have friends who work or stand with us. Uh, it's a great organization. And I remember one evening we arrived in Los Angeles, and uh, we had dinner with uh, these friends, and uh, we were speaking about uh, what's happening in Europe and about Islam, radical Islam, and I could see that my daughter was angry. And at the end of the evening, she said, "You're racist. Uh, Muslims are very nice people, etc., etc." And uh, I could see that she was really brainwashed at school. So I did take her out of that school. I put her in a Catholic school. But now I, f I feel that it would be better if she's here. <laughs> How does she feel? 
in the beginning, she was not so happy, and uh, when she learned it, she said, oh, it's the end of my life. But uh, I said to her, no, it's the beginning of your life. <laughs> On that note, so thank you, Guy, very much. Uh, thank, thank you, Daniel. Thank, thank you, everyone, for joining us.